bit sorry we didn't get a Christmas tree. I mean, even though they're dirty and messy and corny and cliched. Well, where are you going to find a tree at this hour on Christmas Eve? What's the matter? Was that really necessary? We needed a tree. May I remind you that... that this, this was all was my all... idea, no? No, no. I'm well aware of that, honey. Well, could you just keep it in mind the next time you go berserk? Go berserk? Simply solve the problem. We needed a coffin. <laughs> a tree. There are no lots open on Christmas Eve. Lewis burned down my tree, so I replaced it as best I could. Voila. Are you okay? I'm fine, honey. How many of us can relate to the little bit of stress around the holidays? Maybe a little bit of anxiety. Did I get the right gift? We got family coming. Not sure that I want to spend the next four days with them in my house. Uh, you know, I think as, as we come closer to the holidays, there is just kind of a special kind of stress and anxiety that comes with it, right? Um, but if you look at what's going on in our society, I think we're seeing more and more people are experiencing stress and anxiety. And it's, uh, it's actually kind of interesting because it can cause a lot, of, a lot of other problems in our lives. There's a lot of physical things that happens when we're experiencing stress and anxiety. And this last week, I was reading a little bit about stress and anxiety and um, just uh, uh, depression and all sorts of things that go along with that. And I came across something interesting. It was Christmas carols for the psychologically challenged, and I thought I would share a couple of these with you this morning. I didn't write these, so don't send me emails. Uh, so for amnesia, it says, I don't, I don't remember if I'll be home for Christmas. Narcissistic personality disorder. Hark the herald angels sing about me. Paranoid, Santa Claus is coming to town to get me. Antisocial personality disorder. Thoughts of roasting you on an open fire. Obsessive compulsive disorder, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. Agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving your home. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, but wouldn't leave my house. Social anxiety disorder, have yourself a merry little Christmas while I sit here and hyperventilate. And then last but not least, one that, that I can relate to is uh, uh, attention deficit disorder. We wish you, a, hey look, it's snowing. There are all sorts of, of different things, that the, the stress that the holidays bring on. In fact, I've read one article that says, and, and I love this article because I, I'm a firm believer, like you don't put Christmas decorations up until after Thanksgiving. Like you have Thanksgiving and then 
Christmas comes. And this was actually an article that was about if you listen to Christmas music too soon, that it can actually cause even more stress and anxiety. This is uh, Scott Doherty from Healthline. He's a, a mental health professional. And he says, the songs actually trigger a countdown clock in our minds and can cause stress and anxiety about the number of items we need to compete, complete before December 25th. Instead of feeling warm feelings of family and giving, it can trigger thoughts of how many people we need to shop for, party planning, traveling, seeing relatives we may not want to see, and all sorts of negative feelings. So, those of you who put your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, this is proof that you're just wrong, all right? So, uh, and, and if you go to Hobby Lobby, like, it's just Christmas all year long. You go in July, and I think they play Christmas music then. Uh, but there's also another study that says that singing Christmas carols can actually cure depression and anxiety. And it's, this is based on a study out of East Anglia. Uh, it says singing Christmas carols uh, actually does bring hope and joy. This study found that people with mental health conditions, including anxiety and depression, who took part in community singing group, maintained and or improved their mental health, concluding that singing and socializing are essential parts of recovery because they promote an ongoing feeling of belonging and well-being. To come to this conclusion, the lead researcher hosted weekly singing sessions. And then he says this, he says, all of the participants we spoke to reported positive effects of their mental health as a direct result of taking part in the singing workshops. That report shows that the combination of singing and socializing on a weekly basis provides the structure and support for contact that help those involved improve their mood, function, and function better in their day-to-day life. Now, if only there was a place where we could gather every week, socialize a little bit, and sing. Like maybe on Sunday mornings, maybe we could do it like 10.02, not just at Christmas time, like we could do it all year long. Well, I I was reading these studies and I thought it was just really interesting because we all know the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And so, you know, that's one of my favorite times of the year is the Sunday right after Thanksgiving when we start introducing Christmas songs. I just love Christmas songs. It takes us back. And for just a moment, no matter what's going on, no matter the thoughts of the presents that we have to buy, the parties that we have to plan, the family that's coming, that anxiety, that stress just kind of fades away for just a moment, doesn't it? And I started thinking a little bit about that this week, and I thought, you know, it's not just the songs, but I think it's who the songs are about that contribute to that feeling of peace. And we're, in a, we're in a series right now called Peace on Earth, and we're talking about the different kinds of peace that Jesus brings to us. Why is it that, that at his birth in Luke two fourteen, the angels say, peace on earth? and goodwill to men on whom God's favor rests. That's Luke 2.14, but if you back up just a few verses, the angel first comes to the shepherds, and what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. They're afraid. They're fearful. Maybe they're a little stressed. Maybe they're a little anxious about seeing an angel. And then we read that as the heavenly hosts join, the company of angels join, they say, peace on earth. Jesus came to bring us peace. Last week we saw how Jesus' death on the cross brought us peace with others. It allows us to reconcile. It allows us to have peace with people who are different than us. And we said that the gospel takes stereotypes and turns them into stories. The gospel takes enemies and turns them into friends. And we talked about having peace with others. And this morning we're going to talk about having peace within. 
We're going to talk about what does it mean that Jesus came so that we could have peace, that relief of, of no matter what our circumstance is, we can know that God is in control and we can experience that peace. We're going to be in Philippians chapter two this, uh, excuse me, chapter four this morning, Philippians chapter four. And this was written by the Apostle Paul. And if anyone had reason to be worried or anxious or stressed, it was the Apostle Paul. This is one of his prison epistles. It means that it was written while he's in prison. He is physically chained at this point to two Roman soldiers night and day. He does not go anywhere. He's, he's not leaving his house. He is chained to two Roman soldiers. And he writes this letter because he hears that there are arguments taking place in the church in Philippi, a church that he helped start. His friends aren't getting along. And worse, he can't even be there to help them work through their problems. Not only that, he hears that there's fighting and, and uh, discord in the church in Rome. And he can't be there to help them work through their problems And on top of all of this, he's in prison facing the possibility of his own death. I think we'd all agree that Paul has great reason to be worried, to be anxious, to be experiencing stress. Yet instead of stressing out, instead of being anxious, he actually takes the time to write to the Philippians and to, to write to us, future believers, and to help us understand how we can have peace in the midst of our stress and anxiety. And what's interesting is that the word anxious actually means to be pulled in two different directions. It means to be pulled in two different directions. Our hope pulls us one direction, but then our fear and our stress and anxiety pull us into a different direction. Uh, The root word that we get our word worry from in the Old English is the same as to strangle. And if you've ever been anxious, if you've ever been stressed out, you know exactly why and you know exactly what it feels like to feel like fear, stress, and anxiety have a stranglehold on you. And it's just choking the life out of you. It's stealing your joy. And it, we see that, that stress, anxiety, worry, fear, all these things take a physical toll on us as well. It can cause headaches, neck pain, ulcers, back pain. Uh, it affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. From a spiritual point of view, we know that worry is wrong thinking, right? It's also wrong feeling. It's what's taking place in our head, in our heart. And it's wrong thinking and wrong feeling about our circumstances, about people, and about things. And so we need something to get us back into right thinking and into right feeling. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us this morning. He doesn't just say, hey, quit worrying. He's going to actually give us a prescription. He's going to give us a prescription for how we can overcome stress and anxiety and how we can have peace in the midst of turmoil, no matter what our circumstances are. And I want to, before I go on, I want to say something this morning. that When we talk about stress and anxiety, I do understand that there's a, there's a major difference between situational stress and anxiety and clinical stress and anxiety. Uh, and I just want to make that absolutely clear that I understand that there are some things uh, that are, that are going to be, um, I, I do believe Scripture will help, uh, but there are some things that, yes, we do may need to see a doctor at, at some point and figure out some, some additional things. But we're talking about situational stress and anxiety that when our circumstances seem to be overwhelming, that we need something in our lives. And Paul is going to give us the prescription for that in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a lot of promises in here. There's a lot of things that, that ought, to bring us, uh, ought to bring us the peace that we desire. And there's a lot of promises that come true only because of the birth of Jesus Christ. And the first thing I want us to see here is that Paul's first instruction is what? He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoicing is more than just being happy. Happy is often dependent on our circumstances. Rejoicing is something that is internal. It's something that that isn't affected by what's going on around us. And so he tells us, hey, rejoice. And then he says, rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, take some time to remember what Jesus Christ has done in your life, what his birth death, life, death, and resurrection actually mean rejoice in the Lord. Take a moment to stop and reflect, and it's so important to him that he actually says it again. He says, look, you're you're not always going to be happy, but you can have the internal joy that God desires for you. Uh, Paul faced things like persecution, imprisonment, the threat of death, and yet he's able to say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. How often do we take time to just simply rejoice in the Lord? He goes on from there, and then he says, Your graciousness, let your graciousness be known, or your gentleness, as some translations say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out, when I'm anxious about something, I'm not exactly known for my gentleness. And I often take it out on the people that are closest to me. Can anybody else relate to that? Awesome, two of you, excellent. We'll have a meeting. Okay, there's more. And, and Judy's pointing at Jerry, so uh, <laughs> she's throwing him under the bus. I think we all know that, that when we're anxious, when we're stressed, we're not at our best. Yet Paul says, here, he says, rejoice in the Lord, and he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, here's the reality is that people won't always know how we're feeling, They won't always know the stress that we're under, but they will know how we've responded to them. So they may not see the stress and anxiety, but they will know, man, that was a bad interaction. And let me tell you, as a pastor, it's unfortunate that that, uh, you're kind of not allowed to have a bad interaction. People kind of make up their mind whether or not they're coming back. And if I've had a bad day and uh, I just, if I lose my temper, they may never come back. And it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's reality, right? And as a parent, man, earlier this week, I, 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 I had to call my accountability partner on the elder board, Jeff, and just say, man, I lost it. Lost it with my kids. I had to go back and apologize. And thankfully, my kids are very forgiving. I don't know where they get it from. I, I like to hold grudges. It makes me feel good. God's working, <laughs> God's working on me on that. But... I got upset with one of my, one of my sons, and, and I had to come to him and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive your daddy. And he's like, yeah, sure, I love you. Forgive you. 
let's go play. Uh, We've got to be gracious and gentle, and that, that comes from a place of rejoicing. And then Paul tells us exactly why that is. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he just makes this simple statement. The Lord is near. We sang this morning about Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the beauty of Christmas, is that the Lord is near. Not just some intangible presence that we can't feel, but that He actually left heaven, became a man, who was fully God and was fully man, and He was with us. God with us. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, He actually left us with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So when Paul says God is near, he's not just saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming quickly. Not just the future hope of being restored and Jesus' return, but it's actual the promise that God is near to us. God with us, Emmanuel. And that's something that we celebrate at Christmas. In verses 6 and 7, he goes on and he says this, Don't worry about anything. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to go to, to Mazatlan, Mexico and do some work in preparation for our trip this summer. And I was with uh, one of our members here, Ray, and Ray said, yeah, I was reading in my Bible and it says, worry for nothing. And he's like, I think I got that covered, right? Think about it for a second. Worry about nothing. I'm like, yeah, I worry about nothing all the time. Uh, and that's why I love this translation. It says, I thought that was going to be funny. I mean, like, seriously. <laughs> Am am I the only one? Ray, I thought it was funny, so I guess it's not my joke, so I don't have to be offended. It's Ray's joke, so (laughs) worry about nothing. How many of us spend half of our time worrying about nothing? I found one study that says, it says 8%, only 8% of the things that we worry about actually come to. 92% of the things that we worry about are either outside of our control or they never happen. They just never happen, yet we spend all of our time, energy, and effort worried about these things. 92% of those things, just let it go. Worry, be anxious, worry about nothing. Uh, uh, don't, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer, petition, thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus I want to talk about this. There's a, there's a big contrast that Paul is ma- making here. When he says, don't worry about anything, and then he says, but in everything through prayer. And Paul's going to give us here the first, first step in fixing our worry and anxiety and how we can experience not only the peace of God, but later on what he's going to say, the God of peace in our lives, and that we can have that peace within The first step is this, right praying. Right praying. We have to learn to pray in the right way. Uh, When we pray, the word that's used here for prayer is is more than what we often think of. Uh, It's actually a word that that, um, it really has to do with our approach towards God. And what he's saying is that when you come before God, before you get into asking God for all your stuff that you're you're coming to, if you want to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the first thing you have to do is adore Him and worship Him. That's what the word has in mind. It has to do with with adoration and worship and our attitude towards God. Adoration is what is needed. 
It's the thing that will take us from, from seeing how big our circumstances is, are. When we see our circumstances, yet we come before God and we begin to worship and adore Him, we suddenly, suddenly remember and realize how big our God is. That God is bigger than our problems. That God is bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than that family member that drives us crazy. And suddenly, those worries and anxieties begin to fade away. So we start with the adoration. Instead of rushing into His presence, begging for peace, peace of mind, we know that that will never get the results. We have to bow before Him and come before Him and worship Him and let Him begin to search our hearts and minds as we worship Him. The second thing Paul tells us is that we come with prayer, adoration, and petition. Petition is the idea of not just asking God for stuff, but it's the earnest sharing of the desires of our hearts. This is the exact same kind of prayer that we see from Jesus in the garden. While his friends are off sleeping, Jesus is off in the garden, just a stone's throw away, kneeling down, praying. He is anxious. He is stressed out because of what he knows is coming. And he is so stressed that he begins to sweat drops of blood. The blood vessels at the top of his forehead are actually beginning to burst because he is so intense in prayer. And let me say that, that this type of prayer, this petition where we're allowing our, our requests, the deep desires of our hearts, we're voicing those to God. It has nothing to do with the amount of words that we use. In fact, Jesus tells us we don't have to use a lot of words. God already knows. It has nothing to do with our physical effort. It is about our spiritual intensity with which we come before the Lord and say, God, I believe this is in line with your word and your will, and I'm asking that this would be reality. I'm asking that this would be, that you would make this happen, Lord. I'm sharing with you the desires of my heart, but at the same time, we have to be willing to pray just as Jesus did in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. And I think that goes back to the, the prayer, the worship, the adoration of recognizing that our will may be wrong. Our will may not be God's will, and because we worship a perfect, righteous, just, heavenly Father who is loving and desires good things for us, that His will for us may be different than our own, but in the long run, it's better. And so with confidence, we can pray, God, Your will be done. And then the next thing He tells us is thanksgiving. He says, prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. Now notice that the thanksgiving doesn't come after the prayer is answered. Did you, you catch that? He says, pray with thanksgiving. How amazing is it that we can come before our God in uncomfortable circumstances and, and we can thank Him before anything has even been answered. Trusting and knowing that He is in control and that He has good things planned for us. No matter what the circumstance, we can give thanks because we can say, God, we trust that your will will be done. And I thank you for that in advance, before there's any answer. How often do we make the mistake of only coming to God once the prayer has been answered and it's actually only been answered the way we wanted that we finally give thanks to God? He says, give thanks, give thanks. And then he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this because the word that Paul uses here actually means to garrison your heart. 
Now remember, Paul is chained to two Roman soldiers. So I imagine as he's trying to write this letter, he's like, yeah, the peace of God, it, it guards you. It's, it's like, well, it's like being chained to these two guys. Like no one can come near me. I can't go near anyone. It's, a, it's, a, it's like having a Roman soldier stationed around you night and day. I bet he felt extremely safe next to those Roman soldiers. He says, it guards your heart and your mind. And I think it's interesting, as we talked about earlier, that oftentimes our stress, our, our stress comes from wrong thinking and wrong feeling. And Paul says that the peace of God actually guards us. And that peace comes through right praying. It comes through right praying. And as we're going to see in a second, he says it guards your hearts and minds. It comes also through right thinking. The right praying is what sets us up to begin right thinking. When we pray in the right way, we approach God, we worship Him, we petition Him, we give thanks to Him, it sets us up to think in the right way. He says this in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Some translations say, think about these things. And I, I love the idea of dwelling on these things. How many of us dwell on the wrong things? We dwell on the mistakes that we made. We dwell on the conversation where what we meant to say wasn't the words that came out of our mouth and now somebody's upset with us. We dwell on the past. We dwell on that thing that happened 30 years ago. But Paul here gives us a list of things that we ought to dwell on. And we know that our thoughts are powerful. Our thoughts are very powerful, and they can actually change the way that we think. I love these verses from Isaiah 26, verse 3. Scripture tells us this. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Do we have that one? There it is. This is you, speaking of God. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect, what? Peace, for it is trusting you. And then in Romans 8, he tells us this. He says, for the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and what? Peace. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Peace involves the heart and the mind. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. Um, It's amazing how thoughts cannot be seen, weighed, or measured, yet they are real and they are powerful. They are real and they are powerful, and the wrong thoughts will lead to unrest and discouragement. But spiritual thinking leads us to peace. And then Paul gives us a list of six things and tells us exactly how we're, how we're to believe, how we're to think. The first, he says, is that it, it must be true. What's the opposite of true? A lie, false. My boys are in, in Cub Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. I started when I was seven years old. Uh, in Tiger Cups, and went all the way through till I was 18, finished my Eagle Scout the week before I turned 18. I was cutting it close. Um, And the first point of the Scout Law is a Scout is trustworthy. Trustworthy, and we we talk about how important trust is. Uh, And the opposite of truth is a lie. And we know that Satan is the father of lies. And so when Paul says, think about whatever is true, And I don't think it's by mistake or by happenstance that he starts here. Because I don't know about you, but when I start becoming anxious or stressed 
or worrying, it's typically because I'm hearing this little voice inside my head that says, you messed up. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're weak. God doesn't want to use you. God's angry with you because you did whatever. And that's the voice of the enemy whispering in our ear, trying to get us to believe the lies. That's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve to lead them away from the Lord and his perfect will for their lives was he simply twisted the truth just a little bit. And if it's not fully true, we know that any half-truth is a lie. So he lies to us. So Paul tells us to think about whatever is true. He goes on and he says, whatever is honorable. That word honorable just means dignified or worthy of respect. Our translation next says just. Some translations say right. That means that whatever conforms to God's standard, we ought to be thinking about those things. Well, where do we learn about those things? We learn about them from God's word. He goes on and says, whatever is pure. This means that it's not mixed with any moral impurity. And then whatever is lovely, this means beautiful or attractive. These are the things that promote peace rather than conflict. Think about those things. And then finally he says, commendable. These are things that are positive and constructive rather than negative or destructive. And then he uses two words to sum up and to describe the previous six things. He says, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. If it's excellent, it will motivate us to do better. If it's praiseworthy, it means that it has worth in commending it to others, that we would share it with other people. No Christian can afford to waste their mind power on thoughts that tear people down or tear ourselves down. Now, it's interesting. As we look at Philippians 4.8, I want to put that verse back up again. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. And then I want us to see what the Word of God says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Tell me if you don't hear some of the same words as the psalmist describes the Word of God. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Did you hear some of the same words? Do you see that the the writer of, of Psalms is saying, hey, the word of God, the word of God is the thing that ought to determine how we think. Paul tells us in Romans 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that we renew our mind, the way that we renew ourselves is by being in the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God. Psalm 1, how happy is the man whose delight is in the Lord. He meditates on his instruction day and night. Right prayers lead us to right thinking. If we want to to experience the peace of God, we must be spending time every single day in prayer, following Paul's pattern of prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And then we must spend time in in, in the Word of God that will show us what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is just. And it will teach us how to think the right thoughts. Lastly, Paul's going to tell us The key for experiencing not only the peace of God, but the God of peace is going to be right living. 
You see, when we pray in the right way, and we begin thinking in the right way, it leads us to act and to live in the right way. In verse 9, Paul says this, Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. One of my favorite verses that challenges me the most is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, Follow my example even as I follow Christ. Now, how many of us are bold enough to, to say, you know what, I'm doing such a good job in following Jesus that if you would just follow my example, you'd be following Jesus. And as a dad, as a parent, man, I, that's something that I strive for every single day. I want to be able to not just teach my kids from the Scripture, but to be able to tell them, hey, whatever you have seen or heard or received or, or learned from me, just do that. Just do that, and I'll I'll be confident that you're following the Lord. It's not that we're perfect or that any of us will ever be perfect, but here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that his focus is so intent on being like Jesus that he is confident that if others will follow his example, it's not his behavior that he wants them to to, to copy. It's not his teaching that he wants them to learn. It's the teaching of the Lord. It's the example that Jesus said. It's the idea that, hey, Paul is doing his best to follow Jesus, and so I want to do my best to follow Jesus. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians is that we think what we need is to live like good Christians when in reality what we need is to live like Christ. How many of us spend much of our time worried that, well, I'm not living like a good Christian? It's not about living like a good Christian. It's about living like Christ. These are the very things that Paul passed on. They were the things that the Philippians had learned and received and heard and seen in him. And then he says this. He says, the peace, the God of peace will be with you. Again, we come back to Jesus' own birth. The reason that Jesus came. Right living will always bring the God of peace. It will bring an awareness that he is with us. Isaiah 32, 17 tells us this. It says, the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be a quiet confidence forever. And then in, verse, in chapter 48, 18, he tells us, if only you had paid attention to my commands, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. In verse 22, he goes on and says, there is no peace for the wicked. There is a difference between righteous living and living apart from God. We're reminded that when we pray and when we think and when we live rightly, that is that we live in line, we think in line, and we pray in line with what God would have us do, we get to experience not only the peace of God, but the God of peace, His very presence in our lives. That's the exact thing that we celebrate at Christmas. Something that was foretold many, many years before the birth of Christ. You can go all the way back to Genesis and we see that the promise of Christ is there from the very beginning. 700 years before Christ was born in Isaiah, we read this in 714. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him, what? Emmanuel. Let's look at Matthew 1, 26. Do we have that one? There we go. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, 
and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this settles the age-old question. This was spoken to Mary, right? So the song, Mary, did you know? Yeah, she knew. So we can stop singing that song. I, my, one of my absolute least favorite Christmas songs, that and Christmas shoes. Mary knew. Mary knew, right? So we just, we, we got that. Let's pull it off the radio. Excellent. So Mary knew that God would be with them, that Jesus, her son, would be Emmanuel. And then we, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is the name that is called of the one who comes. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named, and actually this is all one name in the original language, but we've broken it up in the English. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of what? Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, who dwells with us. I love John's account of Christmas. Some of you are like, John doesn't give us an account of Christmas. He absolutely does. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip down to verse 14. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word dwells with us. Jesus dwells with us. I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're experiencing some of that situational, circumstantial anxiety, that stress, that worry in your life, would you follow Paul's example, Paul's prescription for us this morning, that we would begin praying in the right way, we would begin thinking in the right way, and that would lead us to live in the right way. And we could be confident that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds, and we will then experience the God of peace in our lives. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I want to encourage you that um, before you take any of those steps to pray right, to think right, and to live right, you first have to be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came not only to bring us peace with others, peace within ourselves, but peace with our Heavenly Father. And it starts there. It starts there. None of these other things will even matter until you begin a right relationship with your Heavenly Father that that peace would be made. And the reality is this, you can't earn it. You can't just go out and try to live right and earn God's favor. The only one who was able to do that was Jesus Christ. And that is the point of His coming, His life, death, and resurrection that he came, the sinless son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried on the third day, uh, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. All of that was so that our sins would be forgiven and that we could have right relationship with God through faith. And so if you are here this morning and you have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ, would you start there? Would you start there and realize that from that moment, God did not just call you and give you eternal life for someday. He's called you to be a new creation, to live a new life now, to leave behind the anxiety, to leave behind the worry and the fear, understanding that in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation and he's given you a new purpose to follow and to walk with him for the rest of your life. My prayer for us this Christmas is that that we would experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and that we would have time to stop and to think and reflect on the God of peace and that we would experience his presence this Christmas. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you that you did send your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you not only give us the peace of God, but that you have given us the God of peace who dwells with us. Lord, may we leave here this morning having experienced your presence. Lord, may we, may we be challenged to look around us to see those who are experiencing worry and stress and anxiety and fear and depression because the God of peace is missing from their lives. And may that inspire us to share the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ with those we encounter. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.